This is Perspectives, the show where you have a conversation about how we might be different only to find out how much more we have in common. I don't know about you, but when I was a middle schooler and it was time for school to get out, the one thing I always did was I was a part of the library reading club. I was part of the summer reading program at my local library. And if you read so many books over the course of the summer, you get a prize when you went back to school in the fall. And on our program today, we are going to talk to someone who has a wonderful story, especially if you have a young daughter. I want to tell you about my author, Leah Johnson. She says she always wanted to be a superhero, but became a writer instead, which is a different kind of superhero, in my opinion. Her best-selling debut novel, You Should See Me in a Crown, was a Stonewall honor book. It was the inaugural Reese's Book Club Young Adult pick, and it was named one of Time's 100 Best Young Adult Books, not of the year, but of all time. She's back with Ellie Engel Saves Herself, a middle grade debut about friendship, change, and the power we have to love ourselves. Uh, Leah makes her home in Indianapolis. That is where she loves to write books about Black girls with big hearts. And I take it, Leah Johnson, that is because you too are a Black girl with a big heart, right? Yes, I'm an awkward, anxious Black girl with big hearts, but that didn't fit in the bio, so we had to cut that. <laughs> Somehow I think we are all just like you. Tell me about yeah. Ellie Engel and, and why you did this book for our middle schoolers. Yeah, so Ellie Engel Saves Herself is a book about a 12-year-old girl who believes herself to be exceedingly ordinary, has relegated herself to being a side character in her best friend's story, and she's fine with that until the night before seventh grade, there's an earthquake, and she wakes up with the power to bring things back to life with her touch. And so the book is about her navigating um, these newfound powers, but also these really complicated feelings she's having about her best friend. Um, it felt like the story to write in the moment I wrote it. I was quarantined um, in my childhood bedroom in my parents' house, and I was surrounded by all of the books that I loved as a kid. And I wanted to return to that feeling of adventure and exploration. And Ellie was the natural, the natural story that rose out of that, I think. Tell me about this character and how much of a younger you is in her. You know, they say to write what you know. And Ellie is what I know. I know what it's like to be a black kid in uh, a sort of small townish Indiana. I know what it's like to be a little awkward, a little anxious. Um, but past that, I know what it's like to have a secret that you don't feel comfortable sharing with anybody and aren't entirely sure what that secret means for the way you're going to live the rest of your life. And that all influenced the way that I was able to think about and tell Ellie's story. When we started this conversation, you said that Ellie had kind of relegated herself to being a supporting character in Abby's life, and yet she emerges as the lead. Tell me how that came to be. Well, I part of it is that I want to tell stories always that center Black girls and Black girlhood. 
And part of that is taking us from being the side characters that we've been historically in other people's stories and making us the stars, is offering us a blueprint for what it looks like to take ownership of our own lives and be our own main characters. Um, and so that's, that's really where that decision came from. But also, one thing I've been thinking a lot about lately is that young people today are so visible. There's so much more online than I was back in my day, which wasn't even that long ago. And I wanted to sort of think through what it's like to have an image of yourself that doesn't really belong to you and that you don't have a ton of control over. And what does that look like when we think about like who we're trying to become? You said that this story came from you while you were in your childhood bedroom in your parents' home, quarantined during COVID, there's an entire generation of middle schoolers, kids who should have gone into the sixth grade and started that middle school experience and had to go home because mm -hmm. of COVID. Talk to us about how this book, especially for young girls, especially for young Black girls, helps to speak to the issues of self-esteem, finding your place, owning your space in a very awkward time of life. Being in middle school is a nightmare. I think we can agree on that. Maybe it was easier for other people, but for me, it was it was three years of a nightmare. And I, I didn't wake up from it until I got to high school. And part of that is because everybody around me was as scared and uncomfortable and as insecure as I was. And so I, always like I was walking through life with this assumption that everybody could see every one of my flaws and so instead of acknowledging that it's a human experience to be scared or to be a little uncomfortable or awkward instead of that I, I curled in on myself I tried to make myself smaller I tried to disappear and what I hope young readers especially young girls can get from this story is that you don't have to shrink yourself or make yourself more palatable to be worthy of love or care. You are already worthy of love and care. There's nothing wrong with you. We are all navigating our own fears and, and anxieties and, and discomforts, and that's okay. It's okay to sit with that. You don't have to disappear yourself just because you think other people can see all the things that you think are wrong with you. When did you have that epiphany in your life? I'm still working on it. I'm still working on it. Every every book, I get a little bit closer to, to uh, self-actualization, I hope. Um, maybe I need to go back to therapy instead of writing books, but um, I will say it took me a really, really long time to figure that out. But I didn't start stepping into myself until I realized that I didn't have to be the person that I th I'd always been told I had to be. So part of coming into that understanding is unlearning all these ideas that are projected onto you and images that are projected onto you from a really young age, especially when you're a kid who's raised in such an online era. Talk to us about this relationship and the dynamics between these two main characters in Ellie Ingalls saves herself. Yeah, so we have Ellie who is incredibly 
comfortable being in the shadows. And we have Abby, whose entire mission in life is to make her mark. She wants to be an Olympic gymnast one day. She wants to model herself after her favorite celebrities. She wants to date the cutest boy in their grade because she knows it'll bring her a lot of attention. And Ellie has resigned herself to knowing that that is their dynamic and it will always be their dynamic. But what we see happen over the course of the story is they trade places a bit. Ellie becomes hyper visible. And when she then has the spotlight, Abby has to deal with being in the shadows for a little while. And I think it's really important for us to acknowledge that sometimes the people we've been friends with our entire lives grow up and grow separately from us. But that doesn't mean that they can't be a part of our lives anymore. It just means that we have to rethink that dynamic. You said you write what you know. Do you think that it is more of a challenge going through this growing process for young girls, as is it as much of a challenge for young girls as it is for young boys? I think that young girls have a certain set of expectations and impossible standards that are projected onto them from a very, very young age. And I couldn't imagine having to navigate that at this age, in this day and age. But I will also say that boys are reckoning with a different set of issues. What does it mean to be a, a young person, somebody who will one day become a man who feels big things or maybe loves other boys or, or maybe doesn't want to dress the way the other boys in the grade want to dress or whatever. And I think that toxic masculinity has a lot to do with that. And so I think they're fighting a battle that's very different, but it is the same in that they're also wrestling or reckoning with these images of the ideal that is impossible to live up to. Are you saying that it is important for each individual to define himself or herself by their, his or her own terms and not to be molded into what all of these external images and pressures suggest we should be? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, there's a there's a huge conversation, ongoing conversation going on right now about book bannings and about, uh, you know, young people being on the receiving end of of these agendas. But the reality is my only agenda, especially as a, a black writer, a queer writer, my only agenda is teaching young people that who they are as they are is 100% okay. My agenda is making sure our young people can get to being adults without fear or shame. That's what I wanna see happen. And all of that is bound up in this idea that we have to come to terms with who we are and we have to be able to define ourselves on our own terms. Have you ever had any concern that any of your writing might perhaps end up on one of those lists of books that children should not read? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's something I think about all the time. Last year, one of my books was challenged um, in the state of Oklahoma under the, under the guise of indecency. It was branded as indecent. And the only thing that is indecent about the book is that queer kids exist in it. 
But the reality is, whether you take the books off the shelves or not, queer kids don't stop existing. They just have to exist in the shadows because you've told them that who they are is something to be ashamed of. And so as I continue to write these stories, as I see, you know, myself and my friends continue to be on the receiving end of this type of ire, I am more sure now than ever that these stories have to stay. We have to keep doing this work because the young people need them so, so much. How was that situation in Oklahoma resolved? Well, it was taken off of the list. I mean, the, 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 the indecent uh, charge didn't really hold up uh, because it's such, a, it's such a liberal word. You know, like, what is indecent? Who defines indecency? Um, but where one book banning uh, challenge falls off, 10 more rise in their place. So, you know, the fight continues. <laughs> Your book, You Should See Me in a Crown, I mentioned in the introduction, was one of Time's 100 best young, young adult books of all time. Not of the year, but of all time. How did you receive that acknowledgement? And what does that say about the work that you're doing? I mean, what can I say except it was one of the most stunning honors I've ever been on the receiving end of. I mean, when I wrote You Should See Me in a Crown, there weren't a ton of books that centered queer black girls from Indiana. We didn't really have a blueprint for how a book like that would perform. And so I was comfortable with putting a book out that not a lot of people would read, but that I knew was necessary. And to see how far it's reached since then, to see how many people it's connected with has been one of the greatest joys of my career. When did you know that writing was going to be your therapy, that telling stories was going to be how you work through some of the things that you have worked through emerging from youth and into adulthood? Well, I didn't have that many skills growing up, to be honest. I knew that I was good at making people laugh, and I knew that I was good at lying. And as it turns out, being able to come up with lies on the spot is a really handy tool in fiction writing. And so I knew that I wanted to tell stories for a living. I just didn't know what that was going to look like until I got to grad school and I went to school for fiction writing. and. I started working on You Should See Me in a Crown in my second, at the end of my second year of grad school. And it was mostly just an avenue for me to imagine a possible future for myself as somebody who was um, newly out and trying to navigate their queerness. And um, I think with every book, I get a little closer to, to understanding myself. If I may ask how, has your family responded to your queerness, your writing, your success? I'm really, really fortunate that I have an incredibly supportive family. Um, my mom is the state representative in the district that I grew up in. And so now she spends her days going to the state house and fighting for kids like the one I was and fighting for books like the ones I write to remain on the shelves. And so I, I, I couldn't be 
I couldn't be more grateful for the reception um, of my book within um, the larger world, but mostly just like within my own family. Your first book was for an older young adult, so to speak. This one, we are talking about someone who's going into the seventh grade. Is it different creating those stories for a younger person as opposed to what you did with You Should See Me in a Crown? It is, it is. I mean, look, the heart of the stories is the same. I'm trying to do the same thing in every book. I'm trying to write black girls who get to be flawed and free and fabulous. That's what I want for them. Um, but the tone of the book obviously changes. The, uh, the tools we use to get to the, the ending change a lot. Um, and so figuring out how to calibrate my, my voice as a writer to the age of the characters I'm writing for has been a really, really fun challenge. But as long as you can throw a couple fart jokes in there, I think you're good. I, I think you're good if you're writing middle grade. How would you characterize your style as a writer? Oh my goodness, that's a good question. I, I will say that the writers that I think I'm most in conversation with are the writers who influenced me when I was growing up. And so that's like Nicola Yoon, who wrote the book Everything, Everything, which was hugely important to me. Um, Becky Albertalli, who wrote Simon Versus, The Homo Sapiens Agenda, which had a massive influence on my first book. Um, Jason Reynolds is, is a huge inspiration for me. And, and reading the track series that he wrote for middle schoolers was really helpful in understanding um, how to think about and write towards uh, younger readers. And so that's, that's who I'm, I, I've been really shaped by. So I like to believe that my work is in conversation with theirs. Do you see yourself as a role model? Oh my goodness. I see myself as a publicly queer, publicly black and bold woman who is making mistakes in real time, but also learning from them in real time. And I hope that my example of being everything that I am without apology is something that young people can follow. I wanted to ask you about social media. You casually referenced it earlier in our conversation. Uh, what are your thoughts about the amount of time our kids are spending like this in their phones and not reading books like yours or being in conversation, actually talking to other people. Right, right. You know, I, I think we have a lot of, we have a lot of conversations these days about how like TikTok is rotting kids' brains and Instagram is changing their, their perception of self. And I think, you know, there is validity to a lot of these arguments. But what I will say is that every generation has had their TikTok. Maybe it didn't look like it looks now, but we've always found alternative ways to develop our sense of self and also our sense of community. For me, I was, I was coming up in the early ages of social media, but also the early days of the internet. And so, I learned how to write because I was writing bad Twilight fan fiction on fanfiction.net. I learned how to be part of a community because I was engaging with the Hunger Games fandom on Tumblr. And so in a lot of ways, social media has always been amongst us, even, even though it just looked very different. 
And so they have an uphill battle to, to fight, certainly, certainly. But there are stories everywhere that I feel are worth engaging with. What are you wanting your readers to take away from this new book, Ellie Engel Saves Herself? I want them to take away that it is okay to be confused and it's okay to be afraid and it's okay to not have all the answers. Um, it's okay to have friction with your best friends. It's okay to not be able to save everybody you love from the scary things that are happening to them. There is a future and a community of people where you will get to be all the parts of yourself without being ashamed or apologetic about them. And that is a good thing. So I'd like them to know that one, I see them and they're not alone, but two, I want them to see themselves and know that who they are is every bit as okay as the people you see on Instagram. Is this everything for Ellie Engel or could there be more story in you for her to tell? Well, we do have more Ellie Engel coming in the future. Next year, the sequel, Brie Boyd is a Legend, takes one of Ellie's friends from the first book and makes her a hero in her own right. And I can't wait to share that one with y'all. What is the best thing for you about being a writer and about creating these stories and helping to shape and influence young lives? Oh, this is such a great question. I mean, I get to play pretend for a living and people pay me to do it. That is incredible. But past that, I get to spend a lot of time talking to young people. And there is nothing more inspiring or energizing and, and occasionally demoralizing, frankly. They, they have a lot of criticisms um, than talking to uh, middle schoolers. I, I love that part of my job and I love seeing in real time what it what my presence can mean to them, what seeing someone like me in front of them who has done this successfully, um, what that inspires them to do. What's the most insane thing a middle schooler has said to you when you've been out? Oh my goodness. I, every time I go to a middle school, every single time, somebody asks me how much money I make, what kind of car I drive, if I'm single, if my hair is real. They love being nosy. They eat it up. The other day I was in the middle of it. I got done with a talk and, and one of the kids was like, are you open to some feedback? And, and I'm like, I'm I, through tears. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm open to feedback. And they're like, you need more dramatic entrances. And I was like, thank you for that. Thank you for that suggestion. I'll have walkout music next time I come to school. <laughs> I, I love kids. They're so, so shameless. <laughs> it sounds like you have a lot of fun and enjoy the work that you do. I do. I'm very, very lucky that I get to do this. Thank you so much for your time. The book is Ellie Eagle Saves Herself, not the world, but maybe she saves the world as well. The author is Leah Johnson, who always wanted to be a superhero, but discovered that writing is her superpower, and that is what she does instead. Leah Johnson, this has been a delight. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm honored to have been here. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program produced with you in mind.
If there's a guest or an issue you'd like to hear me explore, I hope you'd let me know. The easiest way to connect with me is on social media. Just slip me a DM or send me a message. Search Condace Presley on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And yeah, I know you're asking, how do you spell Condace? C-O-N-D-A-C-E. And Presley has two S's. That's P-R-E-S-S-L-E-Y. Friends, I appreciate your listening. Be sure to listen again next week at the same time as we explore new perspectives. <laughs>